Chapter Fifteen, Part Two of the Ragged Trousered Philanthropists. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tyke Hines. The Ragged Trousered Philanthropists by Robert Tressel. Chapter Fifteen, Part Two. Crass, remembering the cutting from the obscurer that he had in his pocket, was secretly very pleased at the turn the conversation was taking. He turned roughly on Owen. The other day, when we was talking about the cause of poverty. You contradicted everybody. Everybody else was wrong, but you yourself couldn't tell us what's the cause of poverty, could you? I think I could. Oh, of course, you think you know, sneered Crass. And of course you think your opinion's right and everyone else's is wrong. Yes, replied Owen. Several men expressed their abhorrence of this intolerant attitude of Owen's, but the latter rejoined. Of course I think that my opinions are right and that everyone who differs from me is wrong. If I didn't think their opinions were wrong, I wouldn't differ from them. And if I don't think my own opinions right, I wouldn't hold them. But there's no need to keep on arguing about it day after day, said Crass. You've got your opinion, and I've got mine. Let everyone enjoy his own opinion, I say. A murmur of approbation from the crowd greeted these sentiments, but Owen rejoined. But we can't both be right. If your opinions are right and mine are not, how am I to find out the truth if we're never to talk about them? "'Well, what do you reckon is the cause of poverty, then?' demanded Easton. "'Now, the present system. Competition. Capitalism.' "'It's all very well to talk like that,' snarled Crass, to whom this statement conveyed no meaning whatever. "'But how do you make it out?' "'Well, I put it like that for the sake of shortness,' replied Owen. "'Suppose some people were living in a house.' Uh, "'More supposing,' sneered Crass. And suppose they were always ill, and suppose that the house was badly built, the walls so constructed that they drew and retained moisture, the roof broken and leaky, the drains defective, the doors and windows ill-fitting, and the rooms badly shaped and draughty. If you were asked to name in a word the cause of the ill-health of the people who lived there, you would say, the house. All the tinkering in the world would not make that house fit to live in. The only thing to do with it would be to pull it down and build another. Well. We're all living in a house called the money system, and as a result most of us are suffering from a disease called poverty. There's so much the matter with the present system that it's no good tinkering at it. Everything about it is wrong, and there's nothing about it that's right. There's only one thing to be done with it, and that's to smash it up and have a different system altogether. We must get out of it. It seems to me that's just what you're trying to do, remarked Harlow sarcastically. You seem to be trying to get out of answering the question what Easton asked you. "'Yes,' cried Crass fiercely. "'Why don't you answer the bloody question? "'What's the cause of poverty?' "'What the hell's the matter with the present system?' demanded Sawkins. "'How's it going to be altered?' said Newman. "'What the bloody hell sort of system do you think we ought to have?' shouted the man behind the moat. "'It can't never be altered,' said Philpot. "'Human nature's human nature, and you can't get away from it.' "'Never mind about human nature,' shouted Crass. "'Stick to the point. What's the cause of poverty?' "'Ah, oh, bugger the cause of poverty,' said one of the new hands. "'I've had enough of this bloody row,' and he stood up and prepared to go out of the room. This individual had two patches on the seat of his trousers, and the bottom of the legs of that garment were frayed and ragged. He had been out of work for about six weeks previous to having been taken on by Rushton and Co., during most of that time he and his family had been existing in a condition of semi-starvation, 
on the earnings of his wife as a charwoman, and on the scraps of food she brought home from the houses where she worked. But all the same, the question of what is the cause of poverty had no interest for him. Well, "'There are many causes,' answered Owen. "'But they are all part of and inseparable from the system. "'In order to do away with poverty, we must destroy the causes. "'To do away with the causes, we must destroy the whole system.' "'What are the causes, then?' "'Well, money for one thing.' "'This extraordinary assertion was greeted with a roar of merriment, "'in the midst of which Philpot was heard to say "'that to listen to Owen was as good as going to a circus.' Money was the cause of poverty. "'I always thought it was the want of it,' said the man with the patches on the seat of his trousers as he passed out of the door. "'Other things,' continued Owen, "'are private ownership of land, private ownership of railways, tramways, gasworks, waterworks, private ownership of factories, and the other means of producing the necessaries and comforts of life. Competition in business—' "'But how do you make it out?' demanded Crash impatiently. Owen hesitated. To his mind the thing appeared very clear and simple. The causes of poverty were so glaringly evident that he marvelled that any rational being should fail to perceive them, but at the same time he found it very difficult to define them himself. He could not think of words that would convey his thoughts clearly to these others, who seemed so hostile and unwilling to understand, and who appeared to have made up their minds to oppose and reject whatever he said. They did not know what were the causes of poverty, and apparently they did not want to know. "'Well, I'll try to show you one of the causes,' he said nervously at last. He picked up a piece of charred wood that had fallen from the fire, and knelt down and began to draw upon the floor. Most of the others regarded him, with looks in which an indulgent, contemptuous kind of interest mingled with an air of superiority and patronage. There was no doubt, they thought, that Owen was a clever sort of chap. His work proved that. But he was certainly a little bit mad. By this time Owen had drawn a circle about two feet in diameter. Inside he had drawn two squares, one much larger than the other. These two squares he filled in solid black with the charcoal. Huh, "'What's it all about?' asked Crass with a sneer. "'Why can't you see?' said Philpot with a wink. "'He's going to do some conjuring. In a minute he'll make something pass out of one of them squares into the other one, and no one won't see how it's done.' When he had finished drawing, Owen remained for a few minutes awkwardly silent, oppressed by the anticipation of ridicule and a sense of his inability to put his thoughts into plain language. He began to wish that he had not undertaken this task. At last, with an effort, he began to speak in a halting, nervous way. "'This circle, or rather the spaces inside the circle, is supposed to represent England.' "'Well, I never knowed it was round before,' jeered Crass. "'I've heard the world is round.' "'I never said it was the shape. I said it was supposed to represent England.' "'No, I see. I thought we'd very soon begin supposing.' "'The two black squares,' continued Owen, "'represent the people who live in the country. The small square represents a few thousand people. The large square stands for the remainder, about forty millions. That is, the majority.' "'We ain't such bloody fools as to think that the largest number is the minority,' interrupted Crass. The greater number of the people represented by the large black square work for their living, and in return for their labour they receive money, some more, some less than others. "'You don't think they'd be such bloody fools as to work for nothing, do you?' said Newman. "'I suppose you think they all ought to get the same wages,' cried Harlow. 
Do you think it's right that a scavenger should get as much as a painter?' "'I'm not speaking about that at all,' replied Owen. "'I'm trying to show you what I think is one of the causes of poverty.' "'Shut up, can't you, Harlow?' remonstrated Philpot, who began to feel interested. "'We can't all talk at once.' "'I know we can't,' replied Harlow in an aggrieved tone. "'But he takes such an hell of a long time to say what he's got to say.' Nobody else can't get a word in edgeways. In order that these people may live, continued Owen, pointing to the large black square, it is first necessary that they shall have a place to live in. Well, I should never have thought of that, exclaimed the man on the pail, pretending to be much impressed. The others laughed, and two or three of them went out of the room, contemptuously remarking to each other in an audible undertone as they went, Bloody rot! wonder what he thinks he is, a sort of schoolmaster. Owen's nervousness increased as he continued. Now, they can't live in the air or in the sea. These people are land animals, therefore they must live on the land. What do you mean by animals? demanded Slime. A human being ain't an animal, said Crass indignantly. Yes, we are, cried Harlow. Go into any chemist shop you like and ask the bloke, and he'll tell you. "'Oh, blow that!' interrupted Philpot. "'Let's hear what Owen's saying.' "'They must live on the land, and that's the beginning of the trouble, "'because under the present system the majority of the people "'have really no right to be in the country at all. "'Under the present system the country belongs to a few, "'those who are represented by this small black square. "'If it would pay them to do so, and if they felt so disposed, "'these few people have a perfect right, under the present system, "'to order everyone else to clear out.' But they don't do that. They allow the majority to remain in the land on one condition. That is, they must pay rent to the few for the privilege of being permitted to live in the land of their birth. The amount of rent demanded by those who own this country is so large that in order to pay it, the greater number of the majority have often to deprive themselves and their children, not only of the comforts, but even the necessaries of life. In the case of the working classes, the rent absorbs at the lowest possible estimate about one-third of their total earnings, for it must be remembered that the rent is an expense that goes on all the time, whether they are employed or not. If they get into arrears when they are out of work, they have to pay double when they get employment again. The majority work hard and live in poverty in order that the minority may live in luxury without working at all, and as the majority are mostly fools, they not only agree to pass their lives in incessant slavery and want, in order to pay this rent to those who own the country, but they say it is quite right that they should have to do so, and are very grateful to the minority for allowing them to remain in the country at all. Owen paused, and immediately there arose a great clamour from his listeners. "'So it is right, ain't it?' shouted Crass. "'If you had a house and let it to someone, you'd want your rent, wouldn't you?' I suppose, said Slime with resentment, for he had some shares in a local building society. After a man's been careful and scraping and saving and going without things he ought to have had all his life, and managed to buy a few houses to support him in his old age, they ought all to be took away from him. Some people, he added, ain't got common honesty. Nearly everyone had something to say in reprobation of the views suggested by Owen. Harlow, in a brief but powerful speech, bristling with numerous sanguinary references to the bottomless pit, protested against any interference with the sacred rights of property. Easton listened with a puzzled expression, and Philpot's goggle eyes rolled horribly as he glared silently at the circle and the two squares. 
"'By far the greatest part of the land,' said Owen, when the row had ceased, "'is held by people who have absolutely no moral right to it. Possession of much of it was obtained by means of murder and theft, perpetrated by the ancestors of the present holders. In other cases, when some king or prince wanted to get rid of a mistress of whom he had grown weary, he presented a tract of our country to some nobleman, on condition that he would marry the female. Vast estates were also bestowed upon the remote ancestors of the present holders, in return for real or alleged services. Listen to this, he continued as he took a small newspaper cutting from his pocket-book. Crass looked at the piece of paper dolefully. It reminded him of the one he had in his own pocket, which he was beginning to fear that he would not have an opportunity of producing to-day after all. Ball Cartridge Rent Day The hundredth anniversary of the Battle of Ball Cartridge occurred yesterday, and in accordance with custom, the Duke of Ball Cartridge handed to the authorities the little flag which he annually presents to the State, in virtue of his tenure of the vast tract of this country which was presented to one of his ancestors, the first duke, in addition to his salary, for his services at the Battle of Balcartridge. The flag, which is the only rent the duke has to pay for the great estate which brings him in several hundreds of thousands of pounds per annum, is a small tricoloured one, with a staff surmounted by an eagle. The Duke of Blankmind also presents the state with a little coloured silk flag every year, in return for being allowed to retain possession of that part of England which was presented, in addition to his salary, to one of his grace's very remote ancestors, for his services at the Battle of Commissariat in the Netherlands. The Duke of Southard is another instance, continued Owen. He owns miles of the country we speak of as ours. Much of his part consists of confiscated monastery lands which are stolen from the owners by King Henry VIII, and presented to the ancestors of the present Duke. Whether it was right or wrong that these parts of our country should ever have been given to these people, the question whether these ancestor persons were really deserving cases or not, is a thing we need not trouble ourselves about now. But the present holders are certainly not deserving people. They do not even take the trouble to pretend they are. They have done nothing and they do nothing to justify their possession of these estates, as they call them. And in my opinion no man in his right mind can really think it is just that these people should be allowed to prey upon their fellow-men, as they are doing now, or that it is right that their children should be allowed to continue to prey upon our children for ever. The thousands of people on those estates work and live in poverty in order that these three men and their families may enjoy leisure and luxury. Just think of the absurdity of it continued Owen, pointing to the drawings. All those people allowing themselves to be overworked and bullied and starved and robbed by this little crowd here. Observing signs of a renewal of the storm of protests, Owen hurriedly concluded, Whether it is right or wrong, you can't deny that the fact that this small minority possesses nearly all of the land in the country is one of the principal causes of the poverty of the majority. Well, that seems true enough, said Easton slowly. The rent's the biggest item a worker man has to pay. When you're out of work and you can't afford other things, you goes without them. But the rent has to be paid whether you're working or not. Yes, that's true enough, said Harlow impatiently. But you gets value for your money. You can't expect to get a house for nothing. Suppose we admits as it's wrong, just for the sake of argument, said Crass in a jeering tone. What then? What about it? What's going to be altered? Yes, cried Harlow triumphantly. That's the bloody question. How's it going to be altered? It can't be done. There was a general murmur of satisfaction. 
nearly everyone seemed very pleased to think that the existing state of things could not possibly be altered. Whether it can be altered or not, whether it's right or wrong, landlordism is one of the causes of poverty, Owen repeated. Poverty is not caused by men and women getting married. It's not caused by machinery. It's not caused by overproduction. It's not caused by drink or laziness. It's not caused by overpopulation. It's caused by private monopoly. That is, the present system. They have monopolized everything that it is possible to monopolize. They have got the whole earth, the minerals in the earth, and the streams that water the earth. The only reason they have not monopolized the daylight and the air is that it is not possible to do it. If it were possible to construct huge gasometers and to draw together and compress within them the whole of the atmosphere, it would have been done long ago, and we should have been compelled to work for them in order to get money to buy air to breathe. And if that seemingly impossible thing were accomplished tomorrow, you would see thousands of people dying for want of air, or the money to buy it, even as now thousands are dying for the want of other necessaries of life. You would see people going about gasping for breath, and telling each other that the likes of them could not expect to have the air to breed, unless they had the money to pay for it. Most of you here, for instance, would think and say so. Even as you think at present that it's right for so few people to own the earth, the minerals and the water, which are just as necessary as the air. In exactly the same spirit as you now say, it's their land, it's their water, it's their coal, it's their iron, so you would say, it's their air. These are their gasometers, and what right have the likes of us to expect them to allow us to breed for nothing? And even while he's doing this, the air monopolist will be preaching sermons on the brotherhood of man. He'll be dispensing advice on Christian duty in the Sunday magazines. He will give utterance to numerous more or less moral maxims for the guidance of the young. And meantime, all around, people will be dying for want of some of the air that he will have bottled up in his gasometers. And when you were all dragging out a miserable existence, gasping for breath or dying for want of air, if one of your number suggests smashing a hole in the side of one of the gasometers, you will all fall upon him in the name of law and order, and after doing your best to tear him limb for limb, you'll drag him covered with blood in triumph to the nearest police station, and deliver him up to justice, in the hope of being given a few half-pounds of air for your trouble. I suppose you think the landlords ought to let people live in their houses for nothing? said Crass, breaking the silence that followed. "'Certainly,' remarked Harlow, pretending to be suddenly converted to Owen's views. "'I reckon the landlord ought to pay the rent to the tenant.' "'Of course, landlordism is not the only cause,' said Owen, ignoring these remarks. "'The wonderful system fosters a great many others. Employers of labour, for instance, are as great a cause of poverty as landlords are.' This extraordinary statement was received with astonished silence. Do you mean to say that if I'm out of work and a master gives me a job, that he's doing me an injury? said Crass at length. No, of course not, replied Owen. Well, what the bloody hell do you mean, then? I mean this. Supposing that the owner of a house wishes to have it repainted, what does he usually do? As a rule, he goes to three or four master painters and asks them to give him a price for the job. Yes, and those master painters are so eager to get the work that they cut the price down to what they think is the lowest possible point, answered Owen, and the lowest usually gets the job. The successful tenderer has usually cut the price so fine that to make it pay he has to scamp the work, pay low wages, and drive and sweat the men whom he employs. He wants them to do two days' work for one day's pay. 
the result is that the job which, if it were done properly, would employ, say, twenty men for two months, is rushed and scamped in half the time with half that number of men. This means that, in one such case as this, ten men are deprived of one month's employment, and ten other men are deprived of two months' employment, all because the employers have been cutting each other's throats to get the work. "'And we can't help ourselves. You nor me either,' said Harlow. "'Supposing one of us on this job was to make up his mind not to tear into the work like we do, but just keep on steady and do a fair day's work, what would happen?' No one answered, but the same thought was in everyone's mind. Such a one would be quickly marked by Hunter, and even if the latter failed to notice, it would not be long before Crass reported his conduct. "'We can't help ourselves,' said Easton gloomily. "'If one man won't do it, there's twenty others ready to take his place.' We could help ourselves to a certain extent if we would stand by each other, if, for instance, we all belonged to the society," said Owen. "'I don't believe in the society,' observed Crass. "'I can't see as it's right that an inferior man should have the same wages as me.' "'They're a drunken lot of beer-swillers,' remarked Slime. "'That's why they always has their meetings in public houses.' Harlow made no comment on this question. He had at one time belonged to the Union, and he was rather ashamed of having fallen away from it. "'What good has the society ever done here?' said Easton. "'None that I ever heard of.' "'It might be able to do some good if most of us belonged to it. But after all, that's another matter. Whether we should help ourselves or not, the fact remains that we don't. But you must admit that this competition of the employers is one of the causes of unemployment and poverty, because it's not only in our line. Exactly the same thing happens in every other trade and industry. Competing employers are the upper and nether millstones which grind the workers between them. "'I suppose you think there ought to be no employers at all,' sneered Crass. "'Or perhaps you think the masters ought to do all the bloody work themselves and give us the money?' "'I don't see how it's going to be altered,' remarked Harlow. "'There must be masters, and someone has to take charge of the work and do the thinking.' Whether it can be altered or not, said Owen, landlordism and competing employers are two of the causes of poverty. But of course they are only a small part of the system which produces luxury, refinement and culture for a few, and condemns the majority to a lifelong struggle with adversity, and many thousands to degradation, hunger and rags. This is the system you all uphold and defend, although you don't mind admitting that it has made the world into a hell. Crass slowly drew the obscure cutting from his waistcoat pocket, but after a moment's thought he replaced it, deciding to defer its production till a more suitable occasion. "'But you haven't told us yet how you makes out the money causes poverty,' cried Harlow, winking at the others. "'That's what I'm anxious to hear about.' "'So am I,' remarked the man behind the moat. "'I was just wondering whether I'd better tell old Misery that I don't want no wages this week.' "'I think I'll tell him on Saturday to keep my money and get himself a few drinks with it,' said Philpot. "'It might cheer him up a bit and make him a little more sociable and friendly-like.' "'Money is the principal cause of poverty,' said Owen. "'How do you make it out?' cried Sawkins. But their curiosity had to remain unsatisfied for the time being, because Crass announced that it was just on it. End of chapter 15, part 2